0: Too many days in the darkness. Welcome to Prevention is Cure, brought to you by Precure.com, the podcast which brings you the latest in science and practice in challenging mainstream medicine and finding new and exciting ways of having a happier and healthy life. This series is looking specifically at mental health. We've become really concerned about the lack of translation of what science knows into what medicine does. In most societies, including the one I live in, one in five of us will have a serious mental health problem at some stage. The infrastructure, the practice, the gap between treatment and best practice, is massive. This podcast series aims to do something about it. Prevention is cure. I'm your host, Professor Grant Schofield. In this episode, I talk with Pre-Cure Health Coach and substance misuse and addictions expert, Lisa Birch. I think one of the more powerful things here is Lisa's story around her own battle with alcohol over many decades and the thought patterns and how people, if you haven't been in this situation, think what they think the options are, the hopelessness of it, but then the learnings especially around neuroplasticity and dopamine and the pathways there and the balance and and that sort of seesaw effect that are just powerful and interesting ideas that lead to powerful and interesting tools and more than anything hope. If you've got an addiction or been misusing substances or you're working with someone who has, really enjoy this. I think uh, the story's powerful. Uh, It's personal. It's real. You're dealing with a health coach uh, who's really on top of the latest work in this area. Too many days in the darkness without a glimpse of the light
1: Running tired and broken and scared, but I swear I'll never give up a
0: fight. Okay, welcome to the Preventionist Cure Podcast, and today I'm with Lisa Birch. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Grant. Now, it's great to have you here. We want to talk about a few things, but really, uh, you're a, a health coach. You've done your training with Precure, but really what you've decided to specialise in because you've got a long experience in it, I guess, you both lived in and, and understanding the therapeutic aspects of substance use and addiction. Just, so let's just get a bit of a feel for the, well, let's go for the front story first. So what are you doing at the moment?
1: Okay. So at the moment, I am a health coach. I've got a private practice. I work with people mainly online. Um, I, my specialty in weekend was women who are drinking more alcohol than they would like to drink. Yep. And, um, I was in a pub, which <laughs> was probably slightly bizarre.
0: Um, Right. But part of the only pub is part of the backstory part of this, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: it is. Uh, and you got interested in health coaching and that, that angle and the, the alcohol and addictions part because
1: i start i start I start in two thousand and sixteen yeah, just because that's a kind of a place to start yeah, which was um I was newly married, got married december two thousand and fifteen, and my husband aged uh, sixteen something like that, um ended up in hospital with atrial fibrillation and which stabilised and he ended up on a truckload of drugs. He was diabetic and um, very unfit, very overweight. And that was a wake-up call for him. And he decided that he needed to just do something about it. At the time I was working, we owned the pub that together before we got married. Um, and I was working for the DHB. So I was kind of in the health system. And one of my portfolios was locked in conditions. So once we had this realisation that his diabetes, was life threatening, was was affecting his whole well being, I got really curious about why and and how to fix it. So we talked to his GP and we were given a little a. Also, have an A A4, A4,
0: pamphlet, type paper. No, I'm just oh yeah, a, yeah, a, yeah, a, the, a, the paper. Yeah,
1: yeah. That, that said, you know, you need to eat less, and you might want to try the five two diet. I think it said, and one other idea, but nothing sensible. Um, and take drugs, which she didn't want to do. I just got online, basically, and stumbled upon um, an online program, which I teach us, which happened to be a low-card um, and general wellness program. And he lost 20 countries, I think, wow. quite quickly and reversed his diabetes completely and um, was a lot healthier. And for me, that was mind-boggling because it was iron the health system. I I was purchasing health services for the population. I knew, um, I knew how many people had diabetes and pre diabetes.
0: Right. So you were doing stuff specifically in the area that your husband had.
1: Yeah. So I'd be sitting at board meetings where, you know, the, 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 the talk was just around medication and, and game playing, frankly, around, um, it's so slightly off fault, sorry, but around targets. So, so at that point in the year, there was a target around um, HbA1c being less than something. And I had sat with the PHO and seen lists of patients, and they had all these patients highlighted who were the ones who had the HbA1c just slightly over because they were amenable to change and I would. Oh,
0: I see. It's an easy way of meeting the target because yeah. you seventy 71 and they needed you to be under 17, so target those yeah. eyes, let's forget about the ones of 104. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. And, and I looked at the list and there were a lot of Maori and a lot of young people. And they had, either they had no measurement because they didn't being anywhere near the GP or it was, it was five years old. But even some of them who had HBO1Cs kind of off the, off the radar. Hugely high, you know, absolutely damaging. Some of them hadn't been seen for five years, but all the effort was on meeting the
0: target,
1: meeting the target, missing the point completely. So, so that was the beginning, I guess, of my wake up call in terms of the health system, not the you know, health system, the health system, just be here system. Yeah. And that year. What happened? What happened that year was shortly after that, my mother died and my husband's picture died, tragically, very young. Um, and life got really stressful. The pub was hard. That was, it was, you know, we had a, a lot of staff issues. It's not an easy business, but it was a good idea, Ignorance, I suppose. Um, and then my father died the next year, and I actually—I I was drinking a lot. What, what how I cope with life was basically drown everything and cope and lots of alcohol. And
0: as a sort of avoidance of thinking about it, strategy, or just that's what you did.
1: Both noted that it was partly just. But you No, know, partly i I just followed the script, if you like. No, that's what you do. Everywhere you go, there's alcohol. Um you celebrate with alcohol when you commiserate with alcohol. Um
0: but I think you de stress with alcohol your wine for your busy day with the alcohol you yeah,
1: yeah. I deserve the wine. Mm. Oh, that was hard. I deserve the wine. And and my life had actually been quite hard. My my mother was sick a long time and quite demanding. I mean, I had done things like I had made sure there was a fridge in her room in the rest home so I could keep my wine and The best guess was that she wanted the wine mm. and she occasionally had a bit of wine. Um, but yeah. So basically the wine was just bigger and bigger in my life. It was what I felt I needed to to cope with everything. And but I was I had two states, one was emotionally numb, and the other was, I was blowing the top. Uh, a, a very emotion label,
0: I guess. Hmm. And, and. And not much in between.
1: Yeah. In, betu- in between was the hangover, Right. Actually, yeah. you know, it was, it was waking up at three o'clock in the morning and hating myself, feeling dreadful. I think, what do I done? What did do I say? What did I do? They do? Um, just horror. I'd, I'd get out of bed at half past six in the morning and no, like I had to go to work. Um, my way of of oh. basically getting myself to work was to go for a run. It was like actually that shocked my system seemed to be.
0: And to sort of been mostly sober and good to go.
1: Yeah. Okay. You know, like, so, so I'd go for a run and I, you know, I decided that high, high, you know, high intensity internal training was the best, you No. Know, yeah. that, that, that was because the bizarre thing was, you know, I, it was a husband around this house and I was supposedly a healthy person. So I was incorporating half the messages, but then I'd just blow it all with a bottle of wine. Mm. So I'd run and honestly sometimes I thought my brain would burst. I had this constant feeling in my head of just I mean, it was kind of fuzzy, but it was also felt felt I had hyperpressure. Um my heart rate was I speed up to two hundred. Slumming but, but by the time I got home, the worst, the worst had gone. But And while I was running, I'd be thinking I'd be problem-solving. I'd be on your so what do we going to do about this and that? And the other side, and kind of toxic. But then my dad died. And the, the day before his funeral, days before his funeral, I think, I went out for a run about 10 o'clock at night and I was drunk and fell over the dog and <laughs> injured my leg. Right. And um, ended up and an after-hours <laughs> medical set to see whether my leg was broken. Oh. I think I got a synonitis and I, should, like, I can't remember. But that GP who I saw, I said, oh, I got chest pains. What the pair? And I well, he did it all off my chest and she, she um, got really worried and had heart problems. I said, man, I'm sure you're going run. I'm good. I'm sick. No, my heart. I said, See, I think it's probably heartbeat. And she asked the question, actually drinking, which despite having a growing list of health issues, no one really... Because that's the other thing about the health system. You know, they, they have this drinking question and they're supposed to provide brief interventions yeah. because theoretically that works. Yeah. And they get funded to do that. Someone counts the numbers of brief interventions that have been given. But, but you know, at, and actually two or three years before this, I had had the brief intervention and I was asked how much I drank. And I said, well, I think I've often to drink more than I should. Well, what am I going to do about it?
0: Night. <laughs> anyway, this is not what this doctor said. It said, What are you drinking? What, what, yeah. what would you reply?
1: So I said, Yeah. And I actually, because my sister was with me, she just arrived from UK on a plane. She had pneumonia. So we went together. And for some reason, because she was there, I needed to be honest. So, which I wouldn't drink And I said, I drink a lot. So she sent a report. To my GP, who happens to work addiction centre. So the next time I went to my GP, I thought, she basically said to me, You're an alcoholic. whoa, Oh, bad No, i no, not. <laughs> she said, you're a high functioning alcoholic, but you're an alcoholic. And, and I said to her, Right, okay. So, what am I going to do about that? Because A, I work and B, I work as a commissioner in the health service, and there is no way I'm going to any treatment service in the state HB. And no, so what am I going to do? And she said, Well, I could refer you to Wellington and do that. And she did try and do that, but he'd actually retired. So nothing happened. Yep. Story, so, but by but a way, I think cause I had the label, I, I couldn't ignore it before. You know, I, I, I kind of, it, it shocked me out of denial.
0: Did you tell your husband?
1: No, not then. Because, cause, cause at that point, I felt I had two paths, you know, like there were two ways it could go. One is that I drank myself to death because I actually had some fairly objective evidence that that would happen before that much longer. Or I spent the rest of my life as a recovering alcoholic, waiting to relapse.
0: And neither of those options were that awesome?
1: No, they were terrible. You know, actually, actually, I thought bringing myself to death was probably the better one. Right, because a life without alcohol didn't seem always living. Like, you know, I used to watch Coronation Street from time to time. What? Watch Coronation Street,
0: but no, not so much. What do I know of it. So,
1: so there's this is character Peter Barlow, yeah, who was an alcoholic, and yeah. I don't know how many years that storyline went on, but you know, he was either drinking and getting into trouble because he was drinking, or he was going after AA and being really miserable. Yeah. So so that's, that's, that was maybe just me, but that was the message I had, that those were the two choices. No shit, really. And and in the middle of that was just this intense shame because there's two kinds of people. There? There's normal people who drink alcohol responsibly and who have a great time, and then the alcoholics, and the alcoholics are, you know, that have got wet, um or maybe they're diseased, or or whatever. But so it's not something you want to be. It's not something you talk.
0: To yeah, I think you talked about that to me before. Where you, I, I was a little bit shocked by your assessment of that. It's like I am, I don't know, paraphrasing here, but I'm not worthy. I, I'm really not a proper human. In the normal sense of how people should be, which knowing you, and of course you are, <laughs> uh, surprised me that you said that.
1: But that's 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 how it feels because every single day you wake up and you say, "I'm not going to do this today." You know, I've I've upset people. I, you know, I feel absolutely dreadful. You know, I'm not functioning. I know my brain's not working. You know, my eyes are weakening. I, you know, I'd be, Everything was blurry. Um, I was anxious. I was having palpitations, you know, it's not a, it's not a nice place to be. And, and because you, because every day you say, well, obviously this is a stupid thing to do, and I'm not going to do it, but then you do. You know, every,
0: by- Every day.
1: Every day. By three o'clock, you no, know, you get through the morning and you, you kind of slowly get that to feeling human and you start to get productive. You know, everything's pretty good. And then, you know, for me, it was around three o'clock where it was just a bit like a a switch where where I just forget that that's what I was going to do and that that's what mattered to me. Actually, by that time, all it really mattered was getting my next dose. And I'd be thinking about, you know, where I was going to buy it. Um, because you know, I lived in a pub it was he used to get those, but but I didn't really want to know how much I was drinking. so I you know I would sometimes go the supermarket or sometimes go to a store and I only buy one bottle because I was only gonna drink one bottle, but I had the bottle so I, so so that that sense, you know, you hate yourself. There's two, there's two ways you can go, and there's, there's there's either blame or shame, really. Because you're doing something that is so not in your value system, you know, that you can't live with that without either just intense shame or making it someone
0: else's so, fault. So I think you are saying you would be the deadly drunk in and and your value system. Tell me about that. that. It was more than once. Yeah.
1: But I mean. There was nothing. There was nothing right. There was nothing I thought was right about being drunk in front of my kids. No, it it was, you know, I my value system. I was I was someone who was a a good mother and a a good role model, and was teaching my kids right and wrong, how to be good human beings. That you know, then I would behave in a way that was none of those things.
0: What did they make of it?
1: Um, my, it's interesting, I was with both my kids in the car, they're both adults, and we went to our holiday of holidays either last year, and I don't know how it came up, but my son said to me, that wasn't that bad, Mum, was it? And I said, oh, that's good, he didn't think it was that bad, so I said, well, <laughs> I had my daughter ripped onto me later, and she said, Mum, that was, It was terrible. You know, it was really bad. Hmm. So so somehow maybe our girls got worse. Yeah. It was four years between my kids. So maybe yeah. when he was growing up, I did him more under control. And he's always I didn't notice was, yes. she's much more in tune with I'm I'm female, and she's female as Yeah, but right
0: so yeah. Right yeah. Right. yeah. So how did this all, fight? how did you start to resolve
1: it? So so yeah, so once I got that shock of, you know, you're an alcoholic, um, I had been, like I wouldn't even, like Lotta Dan had written her book, Mrs. Devers, going out sometime around about then, I think. I wouldn't read the book. I wouldn't even, you know, go on social, social media sites because someone might see, um, but. But something, and I didn't even, I didn't even Google, you know, am I an alcoholic? Because some of the world might know was Googling it. Wait,
0: They probably do. They
1: probably do, yeah. But um, nonetheless, on my Facebook, thing, I started to see this um, saying, woman called Annie Grace come up. First of all, there was a woman called Georgia so on, who had a sort of a therapy program. And remember, I'd already, by the stage, I'd bought this metabolic program online mm. that it worked. So I was starting to, to, to be less skeptical of the fact that I might find something online that worked. And I, I did try the hypnotherapy, which didn't work. Um, and this, and Grace one, um, was a three month program and it was really expensive, it was about 1300 I think, um, New Zealand dollars and I'd locked it and i I was curious, I thought, well, there's no way I was spending $1,300 on something that's not going to work, that's a waste of money. So I, I didn't, I didn't buy that program. But then end of 2018, she released a new book and a new program. That was a 30 day alcohol experiment, she called it.
0: This is her book, The Naked Mind.
1: So, so the original book was called This Naked Mind. Yeah. And, and then she. Kind of repackaged um, that into a new book that basically put the same information into sort of 30 chunks and said, Come on, just give it a go. Just go in do a few days and I'll, I'll show you how you can change your mind, get control out over alcohol. And it was 47 US.
0: So. Which you felt was better than Danny.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and bear in mind that this is. This is 18 months after I fell over the dog and ended up with a doctor. So there was quite a long period of time of, you know, just being in misery, but not knowing what to do about it. So I figured the $47 was going to be okay. And I could afford that. Had nothing to lose. I was that much on wine a couple of days. So I bought the book and, um, I would pre-ordered a book and I signed up for the program, which sat in office January 2019 and ignored it for the first day. Oh, the first, the first day, cause the state's kind of the day behind us. So January, January the first, I didn't need to do anything cause it wasn't January the first for her. Yeah. So January the second, I thought, well, oh, I'm supposed to be stopping drinking today. But I, had, anyway, I just had no faith in myself whatsoever, but I did drink less. I probably drank half a bottle. January the 3rd, some little pathetic thing. I think my eyes locked it in sideways or something like and I just lost, lost it totally and, and drank a bottle. So I wake up on January the 4th with a stinking hangover. Just. At that point, I, at, least, at least I hadn't sensed to open the book. And I actually read the whole book that day, and I watched the first video. And she, she said, basically, it gave me hope. She said, look, you know, because she described her journey, which was exactly my journey. No, that's that's the place she'd been in. And she convinced me that her life was really better and richer, and I had nothing to lose by losing alcohol, and that it could be done.
0: Yeah, that yeah. was not the thought pattern that you had, and you thought that alcohol was needed for this yeah. and this, and yeah. without it, you wouldn't have this or that.
1: Yeah. So, so it kind of caught me at that low end, and I thought, and it gave me hope. So basically, basically a third path opened up, you know, I had that dying author, miserable, recovering alcoholic. And suddenly I had this little glimmer of hope that actually maybe there was another way, maybe there's a life without alcohol, that's all, that's all right. Mm-hmm. And I can do it. I can get, it. and at the, and at that point, i just toughed it out. for so that's his 24, 48 hours, as she suggested. And if you know, like literally within days. With help, so, so you know, the, there was a community, there was a Facebook group, and there were 2,000 people from all over the world who signed up to That was her first live alcohol experiment. Mm. now she runs in every two months. Um, and so that was another key for me. I felt anonymous. You
0: know. But supported.
1: Yeah. Like, there wasn't anyone I knew, didn't, it wasn't my little, little community, this was made of the Americans who cared what I did. And but they were people. They were all people, just like me. And they were intelligent people. They, like, you know. um, just people ended up in a
0: situation. And where are you at the end of the month?
1: So I did not January the fourth, two thousand and nineteen. The last day I had it. not January, it was the last day I drank alcohol. So by about day five. I was just feeling like a different person. And it was tough, you know, I had bad days, but, but certainly I knew I had, I had gained enough that there was no way I was ever, ever going to go back, you know, that it, it was life Became progressively better. My health improved really, really fast. Like my history. Recent heart rate dropped like 10, 10 towards something wow. yeah, really dramatic. You know, my blood pressure's gone from 170 over God knows what to, you know, 106 over 60 something like I mean, it's just really dramatic physical improvement and, you know, and everything else is, is better. I mean, I'm happy and. It you know, it worked and basically it worked because she, she helped me unpack all those unconscious beliefs that I was carrying around.
0: But also there's one thing that I think has been big here that I've heard you say, can you just help clarify this, is you go, well, I'm not one drink away from relapsing into whatever state, well, on. No, I actually just choose not to drink and I don't miss it. Yeah. Um, what's the, that, that sounds sort of the same, but slightly different, tell us about that.
1: So I'm not I'm I'm not saying I can't drink. I'm not saying I can't drink because I'm an alcoholic. Because the moment I say that I don't want to drink probably. I'm saying alcohol in no way enriches my life. There's nothing there's nothing it does that makes my life better. So today well for me it's a for foreseeable future, for Sydney today I choose not to drink it. But it's my choice, it's yeah. not because I can't, it's not because I'm broken, it's because I don't want to.
0: You know, it's quite a different way of thinking about it, right? Yeah. And it's worked well.
1: Yeah. So I have agency for that. Yeah. You no. Know, I'm, I'm not worrying about my addiction, which is doing press-ups in the corner. Yeah. No. And oh I, yeah. I, so, I, yeah. I, so I
0: mean, wonder why about the press-ups in the corner, why should, that,
1: that's I think that, there is an analogy that seems interesting, it's type, but yeah, that your addiction is kind of doing press ups at the corner, getting strength
0: just running, fast. and ready to go yeah. back Beckham. And-
1: so you've got you've got to be hyper vigilant. And and the other I mean the other concept of you know the, the the chips, the counting days and going back to zero if you fall off the wagon, like a plot create you. Yeah. Um no, if you have a slip then you've had a slip. But you don't you know, if you're climbing a mountain and you fall over, you don't know, go back down to the bottom and stuff again. Like no. Pick up
0: near. Yeah. And in the normal process of climbing a mountain, has slipped through. Yeah. 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 Uh, it sort of go back a little bit further in time as well, because it's like sometimes with, this didn't start at the point you started in some ways. it Probably you were you were drinking through many decades before that. Do you want to go there? Yeah.
1: No. So now I reflect back. I say that my addiction year started with 18. And in my first year at university, where I, I, as a child, from the time I was 10, I was always going to be a doctor. That's what I wanted to do, passionate about it. And I went down to Otago University and did a medical intermediate and mm-hmm. decided I didn't want to be a doctor yeah. um, for why she breezes. But I was intensely miserable, and yeah, didn't have didn't have the resilience to deal with sort of being away from home, being apart from my codependent mother, um, being away from my boyfriend of three years, being in a hostel when I'm an introvert, mm. um, and 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 loss of my dream. You know, I'd gone from someone who was going to be a doctor, which in my family was a big deal. I'd been a high achiever at school, you know, I was a diligent, good, well-behaved child and and I kind of didn't know who I was and and I just floundered around. And you know, if alcohol had been available then like it is now, I probably would have just found alcohol. Um, but it wasn't. That, that, so, that, and I didn't, I hadn't really drunk very much at all. I did my one foray to the pub that era <laughs> I have a criminal record for underage drinking. Oh, you do? Yeah. Just <laughs> up, so, yeah. My, my phones with alcohol started then. But what I, I actually made a deliberate decision to try smoking because I've been really opposed to smoking. I, I'm losing smoke. But I said, well, I just don't know what to do with myself. I feel so awful. And I could buy cigarettes. And I discovered it made me think, oh, so much better so that started i i used nicotine basically to manage my emotions for years um so that was i was 18 when i started smoking and i was still smoking when i had my first child and felt terrible about it but it wasn't as you know He's now 33. It wasn't such a big thing, that, you know, knowledge about the dangers of smoking. When I first started, you know, my first job was smoking at an office at our desks. Um, by the time I was pregnant with my second child, I think the the understandings of the dangers of smoking in pregnancy were pretty well known. But I couldn't stop. And I tried I tried really hard. And uh, I talked to my GP about it, who actually said, Oh, don't worry. She said, It doesn't kill so, And probably the stress that trying to stop will be worse for the baby and stop and smoking. But I went to a couple of.
0: But that wasn't true.
1: went to a couple of programs, but um, I. The other thing that happened to me was I had a very beloved old dog, Ted, for years, and um, when I was pregnant with my second child, I shut him in the car in the middle of summer, forgot. chased people So I go to town and he died. And I was just absolutely devastated by that and felt really, really guilty. And that overlaid on top of the guilt I was feeling about the fact that I was just smoking. I don't even think I was smoking much. Like, I think it was literally, well, two cigarettes a day. I can't really remember. Yeah. But, but I sat down and I just, throw my tears, I, I said to myself, you've got to stop smoking now, because if anything missed to this baby, and he was forgive himself. And my baby still. And I'll never know whether the smoking contributed to that.
0: But you felt that?
1: I, I just felt like a criminal. You know, I murdered my dog and my baby. And and that was a, yeah, that's just shit, that shit time of life. But I picked myself up and um, got pregnant again, quite quickly. When my sick child was born a bit later, And I-
0: It stopped smoking, what well then?
1: I do the last day I had a cigarette was September the 22nd, 1991. Yeah. Um, so I, discovered I was pregnant, yeah, so, so I didn't smoke and I didn't smoke and I didn't drink when I was pregnant Was here like multivitamin was about the only the substance I took, and, but then once she was born, it all just came back, no, I was, I was still grieving, um, I had this, this new day being here uh, and quite a stressful life for a variety of reasons, and I, and by then you could buy wine and a cardboard, you know, a box and it's readily available by at the supermarket. And and I started gone to the habit of having a drink while I was cooking dinner, you know, say five o'clock dealing with scratchy kids and it made it all easier. So that's that would have been, you know, mid nineties. And it just slowly, 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 and up and the it is.
0: Do you feel that any you know, of that trauma is part of what you were trying to tell us? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. that's why you brought it up. You think that's it's relevant. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because my inability to, to, to regulate myself w- without a substance, being, you know, just took me, because I felt terrible about the fact I was smoking, you know, it's, it's that not being able to control yourself. You know, from the time you're a toilet your had with sort of having self control is is about being a, a functioning human being. So, so here, whatever it is that you're doing that you can't stop doing, eats
0: away. So, I guess let's shift now. Let's talk about now and what you know now. That's different, and I think um you more than anyone's talking more about the biology of this the normalcy of it and let's just talk about that you know what's why do you think addiction a is a normal response? and why is it normal? What's the way down? but let's get into that stuff that's pretty interesting,
1: sure, so just I guess the the just taking one slight step back to sort of between then and now yeah. is, is that that, um, juxtaposition of sort of the realization that diabetes was something that you could fix. And then the realization on top of that, that alcohol was something that you didn't need to tell you could fix. Yeah. Got me really,
0: really curious. Yeah, The weight and life laws. Boomers. Yes.
1: Yeah. And that that whole idea of empowerment and developing agency. And that, that was when I, um, I signed up to the Precure course and I started training as a health coach. I also signed up with Anne Grace to, um, I'm certified as a coach with her.
0: Yeah,
1: And I'm currently doing a neuroscience course. So I can't, yeah. I said really, really curious about the why, because if you know why, then you can fix it. Mm. So, yeah, I think for me that the really... The really key thing is around agency, and that your brain, your brain is plastic. Which, I mean, I I I think I probably also believed you can't teach an old dog new tricks, which was was the belief not that long ago that your brain, you know, was kind of permanently wired as you grew up, and by the time you were twenty or so, that was it, and you you couldn't really change it. Whereas now we know that in actual fact you know, the brain is incredibly it's changing
0: like it's constantly changing. It has to change for you to be alive. Yeah.
1: And our brains are changing right now.
0: Yeah. Talking to each other. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so so you understand that and that but we do we do have these kind of um what's the word? Hardwiring in terms of the things that will keep us alive. So like if we were just completely
0: You're not gonna unwire you need to breathe.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Or be thirsty.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. At, at 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 one level you've got bits of your your brain that are driving your body to, to breathe and your heart to beat and you know that, that those basic functions that keep you alive, your digestion keeps going. And then the next level, if you like, is that those things that sort of instinctive, um, I don't know, but, but that are in that limbic system of your brain that make you want to do things like, so, so the reward circuit in the brain, which is the thing that basically is easily manipulated to drive an addiction.
0: Right, and it needs to be able to be manipulated because it wasn't able to be manipulated. You couldn't function because you need to cycle depending on where you are, where you're living, your environment, into places that you have. You need extra motivation to go and find food or a mate or whatever, yeah. uh, and you need extra reason to run away. Yeah, uh, and when you've got the reward, then there needs to be some pleasurable experience because that will drive home the. Problem of ever happening again or not? Yes, so, that, that's true. what you're saying, right? Am I paraphrasing correctly?
1: Yeah. So, so, so basically, this reward system in your brain makes you it makes you want something, mm. and it's it's powered by the neurotransmitter dopamine predominantly. I mean, the, there's like this incredibly complex sort of dance um, symphony of of electrical and chemical signals going on in your brain all the time, but so that dopamine is, is the one that really makes you want to do something. Mm. And when they knocked out dopamine receptors in uh, um, a mouse, I think it was, or a rat. Like it, it literally didn't want to eat.
0: Its you motivation could, has gone.
1: Yeah. You can pop food in its mouth and it would chill it and swallow it. And uh, they say, appear to enjoy it. and don't know it. it's yeah. anything, but. But it wouldn't walk across the cage to get food because it had no desire. No, we wouldn't breathe. We, we we would sit around. I mean, I guess the, the, the opposite to that very dopaminergic state is being completely blissed out by mm. some drug. I well, know. I
0: mean, that's, that's essentially what's happening. You jam dopamine up so much, we'll say, There's no. It's at sea, it's not going any further, you're not desiring, there's nothing else that's going to motivate you at that moment. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so dopamine's really absolutely critical for driver motivation. And it's, it's also, so there's three main pathways and one is this, just the, the launching pathway and the striped because and then it, it also um, has a pathway through to the motor cortex and, um, Parkinson's disease is related to dopamine deficits and, but it also signals up to the frontal cortex. So that's the bit that makes you basically think about how you're going to get what you can get and, and and communicate with other people and make a plan and all those things. So, so that's, that's a really, really important system. But it, it gets you get like these giant surges with drugs. And they they do interact with different parts of the brain depending on the substance. But they will share that basically a like big rush, a flood of dopamine. So that the, so that you really, really want something. And next right time the next
0: problem. time you want to get that same outcome, it's pleasurable. So so you might have some sugary food, it might double your dopamine, I think. You might have some cigarettes, it might quadruple your dopamine.
1: Yeah. And it's methamphetamine, you you know, like a thousand times, that's the one that...
0: Yeah, that's right. So so, so it's in that scale, methamphetamine pretty much maxes the system out. Um, And that's why it's so addictive, right? It it pushes you here, you reach this peak, um, and then you want more. But something strange is happening here, right about wanting more. The system is in adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell me about that.
1: So it's a one point to, yeah, you because know, like really a, how it works is by basically telling you that something's good. So if you're, if you're a kind of man and you're a woman, yep. probably a woman, because you're out gathering, to, like a hunting or something, yep. and you come across a patch of berries or something. There'll be a whole lot of things about that experience that help you find them again. So it's, it's about laying down those pathways for something that is, has a high survival value. So broccoli tears, lots of wheat, for example, Yes, something with lots of calories, probably does, and there's some interesting stuff around foraging behavior in terms of sugar and mm. certain times of the year, but But what happens when you stimulate those dopamine pathways too much is that you get a down regulation. So you get this, this, they don't really, I don't think completely understand because slightly different stories, but I think there's two processes. One is that your breakdown regulates your dopamine receptors. So it takes more and more and more of something to get the same effect and also, you tend to have other processes that counteract it, because your brain wants to stay at homeostasis. You know, it, it can't be in that state all the time. Things need to be settled.
0: Right, so let's say the an example, like you have you ramp up your dopamine system and dopamine production 100,000 for whatever. Um, that's very pleasurable that initial hit, but immediately there's a shift. So the same dose the next time won't achieve the same outcome. And when you go back, as you say, if I get this right, you you actually go back below normal, yeah, so you actually feel with is, is that what withdrawal is, or is that the yeah
1: where... yeah, so you, you get a a state where your brain adapts so it sort of down regulates your hedonic threshold
0: yeah
1: and basically you you feel this pleasure in everything and and you've pumped up other stress hormones largely, that have sort of counteracted that positive effect. So you get a sort of a tipping. Um, Anna Lenke has this
0: seesaw
1: analogy where the more you sort of um, pleasure, uh, pump up the pleasure, the more your gremlins, as she calls them, um, jump on the other side. And so over, over time you get that adjustment into
0: Right, so, so, so initially this is your feeling good, feeling normal, just being a human being. Have, you start to over-pump up your dopamine, and it responds by pushing your normal state back here. Yep. So now I don't feel very good, Yeah. now I'm more motivated to get back to normal. I think I'll do that by pursuing that substance again. And, and all you're doing, and I get people talk about this with tobacco, if I'm right, is that uh, actually with a cigarette, all you're doing is getting back to the, the state of a, a normal uh, non-smoker.
1: Yep. Yeah, like literally literally that withdrawal yeah. is is those gremlins or those opponent processes what you're gonna call them, kind of making you feel terrible. So you you want to do more of it just to deal with the withdrawal. So basically the the pleasure you get is actually just stopping feeling shit from withdrawing. Yeah. So and,
0: and, and so then that's actually just a completely normal process for the brain to happen. This is how the dopamine system works. Yep. Um, yep. there's not something wrong with you yet. A hundred people get a knee operation and a hundred people get prescribed oxycodone and only 10 come out addicted. What's why? So it's a- shouldn't they all be addictive? Yeah. Well, they don't, they don't all be detected. Yeah.
1: So. I mean, there's a, a, a variety of reasons why people get addicted. It was a point I just can't quite remember what it was I was going kind
0: of to Well, one one is is, it, is part of the idea that, I mean, that the initial biology that you bring in, the plasticity of that system pertaining to you, your history, your brain—it's we're, we're different, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so every brain, for a start, every brain has been wired differently. So your, your, your brain is your experience, really. Yep. Your brain is the sum total of the things that have happened to you and the thoughts and the memories and so forth that, that, that are in your mind are the physical architecture of your brain. I mean, in terms of sort of, finer find detail, obviously, we have some brain structures that are the same, but, but in terms of the memories and thoughts, yeah, they are actually sort of physical brain yeah, that you will if you've if you've grown up with neglect, for example, those sort of circuits are that that are around, you know, regulation and um control and love and all this, all of the good experiences that are built into a brain in a loving interaction between all a child and an adult. Yeah. They they will have they'll be missing those. And they'll have created coping strategies in some way. But then if you, if you go in with something that lodges in your sort of endorphin system, which some drugs do, then you could be really, really vulnerable. for that. Like you might feel loved, you know, the drug might give you that, that feeling of, of love and comfort that you've never had. So, so you're likely to be particularly susceptible to that. Yeah, right. But, but you're not going to get addicted if you don't do something for a start. Yeah. So, so like your environment measures in that. Um, yeah. If you don't, if you don't either use a substance or behave, yeah. you to get addicted. If you, if you're using it to, for some emotional need, then you are likely to. But it does depend, like I, no, I went through a period where I slept on campus and I just got really, really depressed and paranoid and it was horrible and eventually I was intelligent enough to like the two <laughs> together and think I'll stop.
0: Right, but that's what the experience for everyone.
1: No, some yeah. people, some people find it. you know, it, it, it tends to heighten all their senses and makes them feel the world is amazing.
0: Hmm. So so let's talk about getting unaddicted then. If- if we think about this neuroplasticity and the dopamine pathway and it's, it's up regulation, it's down regulation, it's moving all over the place and why would do that? How do you, how do you get back so, to normal when it's out of sync?
1: So basically you've, you've, like, you've carved these channels. So Caroline Leaf is this woman well, who's, who's writing a number of books and she talks about managing your mind and she uses this prop, she's, she's got this like a giant tree you know, thoughts are like trees and they grow. You know, the more often you do something, the more it grows. So you can end up with these toxic pathways that that your thoughts will go in. And but basically, if you don't use if you don't use a pathway, then it it dies away. So you've got these big pathways in your brain, that's your default. You no. Know, they've been built up because you are your brain and body think you're doing something that's going to keep you alive. Mm. Actually, yeah, Obviously, no, it's not. Mm. It's been kind of tricked. So, so it makes sense that it's been built. So your, your job is to basically, like a, an analogy might be, and I've heard someone use, you know, if you, if you go from, you're out this door of your house and you go to this place over here every day, 10 times a day, and over time you dig this you know, channel, you've got this pathway that eventually you can't even climb out of it. Mm. But actually you can just go out the back door <laughs> and, you know, and forge your way through the forest. And over time you'll, you create a new path yep. and the old path will grow over, will be all gone. And, and that's literally what, it, what happens in your brain. So you, you, you retrain your brain.
0: And so I think, uh, we'll talk about, uh, Lepke's worker, work, a US psychiatrist is sort of at the forefront of this, but yep. the, the I guess the three stages in addiction in the 20th century going into the 21st century, the, the first path was the one that you initially believed that this was sort of moral delinquency and uh, that sort of lack of character and strength, that's really what spurred the U.S. war on drugs that permeated through the rest of the world.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yes. So, So, I mean the history is really interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I, I think the, before there was so much understanding of how the brain worked, that there was the feeling that the drug was the problem. Yeah. So, you know, the drug is addictive. If you take the drug, then you will get addicted.
0: So just get rid of the drug, criminalize it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And. And at first first of all it was it was, you know, you are you're a bad person, you're a criminal. And then the, then they started to do brain scans and folds and they started to see that, that some of these addicts actually had brains that had, you know, stroke prefrontal cortexes and you know that the, there were measurable changes in the
0: brain. And that sort of led to a disease yeah. view, which is, is still in a hole now and there's certainly to prove it, but it's not quite right, is it?
1: Yeah. So so basically if you, you look at the you know, there is the diagnosis of substance use disorder, I remember exactly yep. what, what the disease is at the moment, but it's characterised by, by particular symptoms which are around not being able to control and consumption, yep. basically, and it's having an effect on your life. And it's, it is characterised as being a, a chronic relapsing
0: disease. And so that's, and that's the space, alcoholics alcohols and exists so, right? yeah, but one drip away and we've talked about that. yeah, but really this what we're calling the third wave because we're calling it the third wave, don't we is is the neuroplasticity view and Lempke's view that that's not the case.
1: yeah so so, I guess that some of the things that happened was there was, I mean like the Vietnam war experience, where a, a very large number of Americans service more were taking drugs in Vietnam, and they
0: were really worried about well, heroin and things like this. Yep. Yep. yep.
1: Made in heroin, I think. The yep. um, government was really, really worried. They I mean, had all these rats coming home and terrible addiction problem. And In fact, most of them came home and just stopped using. Yep. Um, and then there were the rat park experiments where, you know, you, keep, you can get rats addicted uh, quite easily.
0: But there was were- and, and low, lonely socially isolated, yeah. low, low airport environments, but you put them in a park. or well, I call it a rat park, but it was, I guess, too. Yeah,
1: it was an enriched environment. Other than no.
0: to have sex with all the stuff, and they yeah. don't get, to, get yeah. to, to drugs at all. But Subdrugs. They're not, they're not interested. No. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And, um, and they also started to discover that, um, brains that of people who are obese, for example, often had the same sort of look to them. And by the way, there's a whole pile of behavioural addictions that, you know, there's really no difference in someone who's got a gambling problem to someone who's got a drug problem. And so, so basically there was the beginning of the understanding that that this isn't a disease, this is just a a state of the brain that where the brain has adapted to what it's doing. And yes, that that does show changes, but, but that's reversible.
0: And you simply stop that. Yeah.
1: But well, as long not, as it's just,
0: not as easy as you think.
1: No. I mean, as long as you go on doing that thing, your brain can never recover. Right. Really? I mean, it's it's because the problem is that you've got this cycle of
0: diapers down regulation. It's not about out of debt if you're still drinking or smoking or weed. No. So, so uh, Lemke talks about her surprising finding with her clients that. A large number of people will actually have been commit to trying abstinence for the thirty days, and there's a higher percentage that's it's successfully done with support than you otherwise might imagine. Tell me about that.
1: yeah, so I guess it's I mean I guess it's it's very much like my experience, that if you if you package it up the right way, um, most people are be to give it a go if you say to someone you can recover, but actually you're not going to, if you go on doing this thing, yeah. then, you know, they're, they're likely to give
0: it a try. I guess it's the third path that you talked about. There's, there's going until you, you die. There's, I'm going to have a disease and I'll the this stone press up some before it's going to rip back and get me at my situs flinch because you're and You wolf flinch. But there's another path, which is actually, hey, this is a normal neurological process. Um, do things the right way, and it will be the same as yeah. everyone else.
1: That that yeah. That I I've, I've got a a brain that can change. Yeah. And that that these things that that seem so essential to me at the moment,
0: yeah,
1: actually aren't. And in actual fact, you know, you can start to engage people with the the realization that they're really doing them harm. Yeah. Like the, the whole social media thing, yep. for example, you know, like connection is one of our most basic needs and that's where social media can, can be very addictive mm-hmm. and is very toxic and, the, you know, that sort of getting likes and things.
0: Mm.
1: Um, so people feel compelled to 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 go on doing it because it is a dopaminergic thing, getting getting likes, feeling popular. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: But, but if you start to really dig into that with people, well, what is it really doing for you? No. Yeah. What is it actually making people?
0: For- That's funny you should say that because a couple of weeks ago I wrote a post that was really important to me. Uh, and something happened to that post. And it on Facebook it got um, 250,000 views. And on LinkedIn it had 180,000. And. Uh, these things have been happening and it was quite rewarding, frankly. Uh, but, but, but then a couple of weeks later, which is just a couple of days ago, I was like, oh, this is actually not doing any good. I'm keep checking. I'm going to stop this. In fact, I've stopped watching all the news, reading any newspapers and, um, engaging this at all. And something really weird happened to me yesterday is that I was like, well, I'm not looking at social media and I was just sitting in my office, not doing anything and, I, and before I knew it, I'd dang this, and because it recognize my face, it just opens, and I'd push Facebook and I was in it scrolling, and I hadn't even yeah this this is not even a thing I'd, i this there was no conscious thought to get into that point, and it didn't happen to me once yesterday. It happened to me seven or eight times, I, I I'm frankly shocked, yeah um, so, I'm on the 30 day program. But they, yeah, and <laughs> yeah. I don't have to rewire. But I think, you know, in that context, that's probably what's happened, right? It's just yeah. a massive hit. Yeah, absolutely. People, people liked my post and telling yeah. me how awesome I was. And I wasn't yeah. that awesome, to be honest. It was just a post. But, um, yeah, that's very, yeah. Very,
1: very rewarding.
0: Yeah. But rewarding yeah. in a very negative way because now my brain needs that just to get back to normal. Yeah. God, my God.
1: That, which is why, which is why, you the internet can deliver those rewards so instantly, no, and, and because the other thing the brain loves is, is kind of, um, variety yeah. and, uh, and a bit of, um, challenge, yep. which is why gambling is so addictive yep. that you never quite know yep. when, when you're going to win and actually even losing can be rewarding. Mm. So the internet delivers that up, you know, and and it's designed to. That, that sort of, is it going to be this time? Is it going to be this time? Is
0: it going to yeah. be this time? Okay, so, like, the more I think about this, the more I connect with some dots, and more shocked I am, um, first of all about myself, I guess it's normal neurology, but yeah, the, the fact that I could be on and in Facebook or Instagram before I am not even consciously, um, that system's driving that behaviour. I don't want to do it. I had no attention to it. In fact, I purposely at the start of the day said, I'm not doing this because it's not good for me and I'm feeling worse. So at least I was able to identify that, right?
1: Yeah. Because the stats around, um, yeah, how I think I can't remember the stats, but like a huge proportion of the population along these lines would be so hours a day. So, so, so
0: what's a 12 year old supposed to do? Exactly. Yeah.
1: And, and, you know, and sorry, I got to talk that Paul, sorry.
0: Okay, let's talk about porn.
1: Because <laughs> this was this was really scary to me. Yeah, that because again, I can't remember the stats, but like you know, porn's been around forever. Yeah, it's it's a a, a basic biological drive, mm. obviously. And if you go back to our cave, you know, yeah. probably hiding in the bushes, watching the you know the woman bathing or yeah, you know. Sneaking off by the bike sheets in our day, all well, I do, yep. I live you know, that, that, that's what we do. Yeah. We, we experiment, we're curious. And mm. you know, I, um, when I was a child, my dad seemed to have penthouses back toilet. you know, but, yeah. but um, I, I, I found one under my son's bed when he was 16. You know, I, that, that, yeah,
0: that's just normal stuff.
1: right? Yeah. And, and it's not that harm, harmful, mm. but now a huge percentage of internet traffic is sex related and uh, and children are seeing it accidentally, short, but also they're curious. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, someone, I can't remember who it was, you know, if you, you gave a penthouse to a kid and said, but just don't look at page 36 and 37, you know, where would they go? Yeah. And the stuff they're seeing is...
0: From memory, there's more than two pages. right uh,
1: You know, it, it's highly rewarding, but the same process happens. What rewards you today isn't going really to reward you tomorrow. Yeah. So,
0: if-, if Oh, I okay, because you. the dog means involved. So, you're curious, It's a normal human response. You're going to look at it, Chad's dunging no, up because it's, really a, good. it's a normal human drive. Yeah. same cycle it comes comfort you feel worse, you want more of it.
1: Yeah. So, what are you going to do? You've got to go to something more extreme. Yeah. And when you actually look at, you know, the, the, the I wish I could have stepped on yeah. at some point. But you know, the like interfamily sex is I think the most common um fall of porn. was well, Yeah, because it needs to be more extreme.
0: Right. So, and that pushes it in that way. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah. So so what works for you today, because masturbation's involved, usually, um isn't gonna work tomorrow. So you start
0: so, so me goes up, it comes back worse, you need more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you'd you you i am told it's not an area of expertise, but I'm told, you know, they'll be they'll be there with multiple tabs open and flicking from one to another. And yeah, you know, it, it things stop working. You right. know, they can't have a normal relationship because
0: that's not extremely. No.
1: And
0: it makes perfect sense in that dopamine law. Yeah.
1: A lot of sexual dysfunction that yeah. often gets medicated, and yeah. um, yeah, that's and it's very, very common yeah. amongst particularly young people because there's a into to it. And you know, you, if they're on the internet, they're seeing it,
0: yeah. And, and what would get there? Are you curious? Because we be weird if you did
1: because, because you know, you're an adolescent, you? yeah, what do you think of that on the time? yeah? But you're seeing these gross, violent
0: diverted
1: mm. images all the time. And then you start to feel that, that whole shame cycle and then you, you can't interact. Yeah,
0: right. So we could understand that in exactly the same way we've talked about it.
1: Yeah. And, and the internet can deliver it. It's the same as internet gaming. Yeah. You know, highly, highly rewarding. That that's, it's designed to be addictive. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, they know exactly, you know, how many times you should fail. Yeah. to keep you interested.
0: Right, yeah, so don't, don't I guess you don't you, know, you eventually need to be gaming just to get back to normal. So parents out there, that's actually a good point, isn't it? Your, yeah. your kids are using gaming to get back to normal. Yeah. Ouch.
1: And they might be awake all night doing it. Yeah. No, they're... they're right, which
0: is just taking as much as they can to try and get it back to normal. Yeah, and I guess there's no way out there. Yeah.
1: yeah, and then, and this is the love because... This is this is where it all comes back to to physiology. Really, is that it all dysregulates your physiology as well, yeah. and so you end up often with sleep disturbed, um, nutrition disturbed, yeah, and and then you feel you feel bad. You know, uh, of course you feel bad, but then, and this is why I reckon it happens. We've got a world that's saying, oh my god, we've got a mental health price. Yeah, and you know, we're trotting off to the doctor and getting a diagnosis, Whereas an actual a- fact, yeah, an actual fact. You're just living a lifestyle that is really, really bad for you, for your brain. Mm.
0: Okay, that that is a good point. Okay, let's just let's just finish off with the last little bit talking about these Behaving therapies act, and, and in the sense of acceptance commitment stuff. Uh, so. My sort of understanding, you know more than me here, of course, is that being a human and having this natural cycle of, of dopamine being here and then jacking up here means that you're going to have emotions that are negative. I want to come out of the space and I'm now motivated to come to this space and back again. so positive and negative emotions are a normal part of being a human. Yeah, no, that's a normal thing. So that's probably part of the acceptance part. Um, and if you're pushing into that feeling good the whole time, then that's going to get dysregulated and you've talked about that. Now, the commitment part comes, and you've talked about this quite a lot with your own self here, it's like, I've got some values, I want to live a life like this, I want to be, I see myself as a parent, I'm not trying to be drunken and, and, uh, and and a mood that is out of control in front of my children, those aren't my values. Uh, and so the therapeutic situation is to talk about towards where it moves in a way, moves. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, so, so it's, it's, they call it delay discounting. Yeah. So, where, you know, the reward now Yes. With more than the reward? You know, you'd rather
0: be it's to, a smaller reward now than you'd rather than
1: have five villas now, then. $6 dollars a week or whatever, yeah. because, because the reward now seems like you know, more real. So that's mm. with leaving money, but with an addiction, then you've, you've grossly exaggerated the value of the reward now and you lose touch.
0: You've discounted, with, is all the discounting You've discounted yeah, one in the future. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You, and, and you've often lost touch with it completely because like, you know, I was, I was seriously thinking, well, I'll just drink until I'm dead. So, I had no, that's, good. that is
0: quite, that's discounted the thing quite
1: badly, <laughs> <That is. laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so there's two, there's two parts to that. One is you need to reconnect yeah. with, with your future self and your, your goals and your values, and the other is you need to devalue that, that immediate reward. Yeah. So for me, that was, that was understanding that, um, I didn't need alcohol to socialize that actually, um, I, uh, understanding that alcohol increased my stress, yeah. it literally increased my cortisol levels, made me feel shit, did nothing, you know, to, to yeah. deal with stress. Knowing that, you know, that, that current reward and reconceptualising it as this is just my body wanting to, um, not have to deal with withdrawal, yeah. you know, basically I'm just going to fix, fix the withdrawal symptoms. Once I could conceptualize that, you know, it, it, it all was possible. So I think that's, that's a big part of it.
0: Mm -hmm. And then what about the, on this sort of choice point, when it's coming down to it, it's like, am I going to do this or this?
1: Yeah. And, and, and.
0: There has to be values based, right? That's values based. Absolutely.
1: So, so it's, it's knowing you can change, it's having hope, it's, it's being really clear about what matters to you. Yeah. Because that's that's the other thing I think about the society we live in is because we are, we are primed constantly around instant gratification that, you know, we need this and we need that, we need, you know, because someone's making money out of it. And, and because we, we're kind of told what's wrong with us all the time we lose touch with with the present. Because that's the other thing we ever talked about, is that whole, um, you know, stop something focusing on the dopamine, what I haven't got, but focusing on what I have got right now. So for me, then in my life now, was here was I going for a run in the morning with this pounding headache, thinking, am I going to have a stroke and drop dead? Will anyone find me? And how am I going to deal with all the problems of my life? Blah, 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 blah. And now I go for a run and I hear, I can smell things around me. And I feel grateful for not only being sober, but for, you know, I've got a million things to be great, so grateful mm. for. And and I say, you know, just that being present, the, you know, however bad your life is, there's always something good in it.
0: Yeah.
1: There's always something to be grateful
0: So when you think about your life now, you, you're like, they're fairly missing out, is it? Is there anything that you're missing from the alcoholic beds? No. No,
1: I mean, nothing. I mean, why, why would I?
0: Could you, if you'd met yourself then, could you have told yourself that? What would you have said?
1: I know, I like to think, I like to think that I would have listened.
0: And I think... You know, what why would you have said?
1: Oh, I might have just said you mad, of course I do not but... Um,
0: no, no, but not the you. What would you say to the old self? Oh, to the old self. What would your message be to the you? God's sake, <laughs> But was that going to work, really? What was a constructive message to you?
1: I just, just you can change. You know, I think, literally, it doesn't have to be like this. Yeah. And it's not that hard. I think a lot of Dan and Related Relations, courses, you know, if I get a... Dollar for everyone who said if I can do it, anyone can. I'd be re- really rich. Yeah. No, that that, however bad it is, you can change, and it's it's perfectly possible, and it's a lot easier than you think. And um, and it's the rewards are I mean,
0: and you just have to start.
1: Yeah, you have to believe in yourself and enough. To say I, I want my life to be different, and just and and have intention, have a a, a, a really strong intention. I think you know and know that it's it's perfectly possible. It's not that hard, but it's also not easy. I mean, I'll be I'll be honest. You know, when you're fighting that craving, because that's what it is. That's a craving. That's not fun.
0: Yeah, but it's something, we're talking a few weeks out okay?
1: there. Yeah. 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 You know, in terms of four weeks. Yeah. And it's not like you're having cravings twenty four seven. Yeah. You know, you will you will have moments when lots of moments when you think, Oh shit, I really want to drink. And then you know, you can train your mind to do a, you know, a lot of the book tricks, like externalising it, like urge surfing, like you know, putting it outside yourself—it's—it's it's all the air techniques, really. You know, to defuse well you know, having a problem. It's like yeah.
0: what? it's Yeah, you know? yeah. It's raining as well outside. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, and and move on. And over time, it's it's—I described to someone the other day, like it's like an echo. Yeah. You know, at first it's echoing back at you the whole time, and and you you need you need to put energy into it. Like nothing happens in anfield really. And for those first few weeks, you kind of have to, it's like you with your phone. Like if you, if you just keep on picking it up because yeah. actually that's just what you're doing. Yeah. But you don't really care that much.
0: No, I don't actually care at all particularly, but it seems to drive me. I'm, I'm still curious what's on my media at the moment. Like re, re, in a motivating way, which is weird, right? Yeah. Hopefully that it puts, is that it puts us, right?
1: Yeah. It does, but you've got, you've got to put the effort, you've got to care enough. You've got to, you've got to care. You don't want to be that person yeah. who's constantly on their phone, worrying what other people are thinking and saying about you. Yeah. And then you've got to put the effort and you've got to put enough effort in to be deliberate about not picking it up yeah. or making rules with yourself or whatever's going to work for you for. The change to happen them because you don't get those it's like learning to play the piano or drive a car or ride a bike or any other thing. You don't you don't get there without wanting to get there, putting these sort and of and, and practicing it, yeah. You?
0: You've been listening to Preventionist Cure brought to you by Precure.com. With me, Professor Grant Schofields. At Precure, we're developing a way to help medicine help change the world. We're filling that gap. We're helping train health coaches and mental health coaches. We're bringing short but effective behavior change programs over 29 days to you, help you learn for yourself and help others as well, Be helped. We're trying to create a community of like-minded people, people like you who want to use the latest science and practice to change lives for the better. Join us at Precure.com. Get involved in our communities. We'd love to have you along with rideprecure.com Too many days in the darkness.
1: Without a glimpse of the light, running tired and walking and scared. But I swim, I'll never give up the fight.